good to see everyone back tonight and for us to enjoy another opportunity to be able to study God's Word together. And tonight we're continuing in the series of lessons that is entitled Favorite Bible Passages. And tonight we're going to be studying Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. And the truth is, many people have taken courage when they have read such great passages as Philippians 4 and verse 13. And because of that, they have been encouraged and enabled to do and accomplish great things for the Lord. I want you to see those verses in front of you when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you know, as you look at some of these passages, many of them have some significant stories behind them. Over the past few weeks, as some of you have given me cards and you have written down there your favorite passage, uh, this one has a great lesson behind it or a great story behind it. When uh, Sister Melissa Brock handed me the card, she said, I need to tell you about the background of this. She says, I have some antibodies that are in my system, which makes it difficult for me to have children. And she said, you know, we were real nervous about it and real concerned. And uh, then she was visiting a religious bookstore and saw a pen that said, Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that child, which was born from Philippians, is Philip. And I know that uh, those of you who want to pat Philip on the back and say, you know, you came from Scripture, boy. And uh, <laughs> uh, great thing about that. But I thought, how wonderful. That thought in mind, because when you go back to Genesis 18 and verse 14 with Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. You think about those words. God can do so many great things if we will just let him work in our lives, pray to him, ask for his blessings, God will bless. So our lesson tonight is going to explore this passage with its original context and then some meaning that we can draw from ourselves. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the context of the passage then we're going to look at the contentment that Paul talks about with that. And then finally, the confidence as it is expressed in verse 13. Let's begin, and if you will, open your Bibles. We need to look at verse 10 as Paul introduces the context here of what he says. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that it now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. One of the first things I want you to notice is the Philippians were a caring church. These are people who were interested in what was going on in the lives of other people. You know, Paul had taught them that. In Philippians chapter 2, he said in verse 4, "...not looking each of you to his own things." but also to the things of others. Look out and see what other people need. See what kind of difficulties, what kind of problems they might be facing. And Paul says, I know that you cared. You just lacked an opportunity to do that. 
And when you think about that, God uses his people to accomplish his work of encouraging and comforting. Let me illustrate that to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Okay, you see there's the God of comfort. But then he says, Who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. The truth is, is that God uses individuals. He uses you. He uses me to be able to help other people go through difficult times. Some of you are really talented at it. And what you see here in this case is that's the way he uses them. But you go to chapter 7 and he's talking about Titus and he says, therefore we have been comforted in your comfort and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. See, Paul is saying, Titus was also encouraged. Titus was also comforted. But you're the ones who did that. We need to recognize that when we pray to God and ask God for blessings, many times the way God accomplishes that is that he uses us. We need to see ourselves as being a tool of an instrument of God to be able to accomplish his will. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11, Therefore comfort each other, edify one another, just as you're also doing. Whether it's the church at Philippi or the church at Thessalonica, which by the way were both churches in Macedonia, both of them were the kind of caring church that they ought to be. But now if you'll notice verse 10 again, he said, you surely care, but you lacked an opportunity. Many of us find ourselves looking at the congregation of people and saying, I don't know what everybody's need is. I don't know if this person needs that encouragement or something else. But you've got to have your eyes open. You've got to be looking for it. And when you do, opportunities will present themselves. As Paul would put it in Galatians 6 and verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, and especially those who are of the household of faith. There will be times and there will be opportunities when you will find yourself in the presence of someone who's worried about a child being born. They're going to be worried about a loved one surviving. They're going to be worried about their jobs. They're going to be worried about how they're going to make it through this life. And your words of encouragement can be the words that God wants spoken by means of helping In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 9, Paul says, And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied, and in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. Paul said, I didn't want to burden the church at Corinth. So what I do, the brethren who came from Macedonia, they saw there was an opportunity and they stepped in and they fulfilled that opportunity. Wow, that's a great group of people. But now that leads us, second of all, to the next two verses in this context. And they express the idea of contentment. I want you to notice with me now verses 11 and 12. 
Paul says, not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. When you look at those verses there, there's some things that are brought out. This idea of contentment. Contentment's a wonderful state. Over the years, I would say there's times in my life when I have been discontent. And I would say that most of us have. Where you want something that you do not have, and you would love to have it, and you would desire it. In fact, for some of you young people, I can tell you when I turned a senior in high school, my father was a car dealer. And I thought in my mind, car dealer, car dealer's son, going to give me a car? And then my daddy just really, really informed me well. He said, son, if I give you a car, you won't take care of it. But if you pay for it yourself, you'll appreciate it and you'll take care of it. So if you want a car, guess who's going to pay for it? And uh, I look back now and I appreciate that. But that was a time of discontent. That was a time I wanted something. I would say most of us could multiply many times over in our lives things that we wanted, we desired. But contentment is a wonderful state when you're happy, when you're satisfied with what you have. But you see, Paul learned the secret And the secret is to understand the difference between wants and needs and needs and wants. And many times our biggest problem is is we look at our wants and we consider them as needs. And we don't need to do that. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8. Paul is discussing the desire for things, the lust, the covetousness of this. And he says, And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Food and clothing. You know, there's a lot of things in addition to food and clothing. To these are the basics of life. You know, our society is defined, you're not a whole person unless you've got a cell phone. Even our government thinks that because if you don't have a cell phone, you can't afford one, we'll give you one. You see, our society has this view that there's all these things that we need. And Paul said, no, food and clothing. And go to Hebrews 13 and verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God loves every one of us. He will provide for our needs. And the truth is, He has provided for so many of our wants and our desires. Paul says, I know the difference between how to abound and how to have nothing. But here there's more to this than meets the eye. When you're studying through, I encourage you to take words and look up the words and see what they mean. And the word content here is not your normal word for content. In fact, it's a compound word. And I don't know that our translations do a good job of capturing this idea because the part of the compound word, the first part of the word, is for the word self. 
The second part of the word is the word content or self-content, if you will. Let me illustrate this. The noun is found in a couple of passages. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all good things, may have an abundance for every good work. The word sufficiency there is that. Or 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. What God is suggesting is not that we find contentment in ourselves, but that ourselves are content. Now I'm going to go a little bit further than that is. That is where we're not expecting others to provide for our needs. God designed from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, He said that you're going to tend this garden, you're going to keep it. God intended work from the very beginning. He intended participation. You see, in our idea today, I would be content if everybody just did everything for me. No, you really wouldn't. But you might think that. A lot of our world is caught up in this idea, give me this and then I'll be content. There's got to be some participation in that. I want you to listen to Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 34. You know verse 35 very well, but in verse 34 he says, Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I am participating. And then he goes on to say, and you've heard the Lord say, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Our problem with contentment is we don't participate in it. We don't work to see that what we have, and if you work for it, then you do appreciate it. And you are thankful for it. Which is going to lead me into the third part of this lesson. And that is in verse 13. Let's go back to it again. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's worth time to think about those words. I can do. Not what others can do. I'm not looking at and thinking what other people's obligations are or what opportunities they have or what blessings they have. I need to be looking at myself. What does God expect out of me? What is God expecting me to do? And not what others can do. Can do. That indicates action. Accomplishment, not a defeatist attitude. I've got to tell you, uh, sometimes preachers make mistakes. Many years ago, we were having a gospel meeting at the congregation where I was at prior to here, uh, the Needmore congregation in Clarksville. Brother Johnny Hester was conducting that gospel meeting, and he handed me a little card, about like one of the visitation cards, with the topics written down for all the lessons. He handed it to me as I was walking to the front, and I said, In tonight's lesson, Christianity comes in cars. And I said, Cars? And he just spoke, and he said, No, Christianity comes in cans. He didn't finish out his end. And I thought, 
cans. What you can do. Emphasis upon action, not inaction. I can do, not I can't do. All things. That's no limits. The idea that if I have the right motivation, if I have the right kind of attitude, listen to Luke one thirty seven. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And everybody says, oh yeah, there's a lot of things. You've already messed up. You've already gotten away from this idea of can do to what I can't do. With God, nothing will be impossible. You know what he said to those people who had that miraculous faith? He said, you can say to that mountain, be cast over into the sea, and it will. People have to have the confidence I can do all things. Then that last part of that phrase, which is the key part, through Christ who strengthens me. You see, I've got a participation. I've got to have the attitude. I've got to have the motivation. I've got to recognize that I'm not limited by my ability because I have someone behind me. Through Christ who strengthens me. So many passages that we could consider. Let me just mention two or three here. John 15, verses 4 and 5. And I will tell you, let me put this in its context for you. Jesus is meeting with the disciples, either in the upper room or on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is explaining that he's going to go away, but he's explaining, you've got a job to do. You've got to carry the gospel into all the world. So here's what he says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Now listen carefully. For without me you can do nothing. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Folks, verse 7 is a key understanding. People have this idea that the Lord's somehow going to come in and take over my body. He's going to somehow come in and take over my mind. Abide in me and I in you. Some people have that mystical view. But look how he parallels it in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. You listen. Is Jesus in you? If his words are in you, he's in you. If you're listening to what he tells you to do and being guided by that, you have great power and ability. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Now again, there's a, another context here. Paul is facing people who are trying to take pride of self. Look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. They're also making up their own truth. Making up their own message. And we have such trust through Christ toward God 
Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. You know, when you read that whole context, Paul asks a question. And who is sufficient for these things? Can you be a great preacher? Can you be a great elder? Can you be a great song leader? A great Bible class teacher? If you think of it as look at what I have done, look at my ability, then you are failing to begin with. If you look at, I'm going to take what God has provided me, both talent and teaching, and I'm going to use it to the best of my ability, you can be successful accomplishing God's Word and God's work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses, or chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul was struggling with a thorn in the flesh. God had given him great abundant revelations. And because of that, it would have been easy for Paul to have become lifted up. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you ever feel inadequate? Do you ever feel like, I don't have the talent, I don't have the ability? Well, good. That's valuable for you to have that attitude because you have to be willing to let the Lord use you. And if you want to try to be in control, it's hard for the Lord to use you. Because when I get to thinking, now I need to do it this way and I need to do it that way and I need to accomplish, then you have missed the most important part because when I am weak, then I am strong. When I get out of the way and I let the Lord's work be done, that's when I am my strongest. One must have confidence in the power of God to accomplish His will. You see, in this context here, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, if you'll think about it, and we do it God's way, I can assure you it will be successful. Isaiah 55, verse 11, So my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. God said, I'm going to send my word out. If I don't cooperate, that's my problem. God will use someone else. I don't know if you remember about Queen Esther and Mordecai. Mordecai said, who knows where you are not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And he says, but, you know, Esther, you need to understand that if you don't help, salvation will arise from another. God can always accomplish his will. The question is whether or not I am going to be a part of it. In Romans chapter 16, verse 25, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel... 
and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began. He is able. Look at verse 20 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Now look carefully at that last phrase. According to the power that works in us. You see, God can work in us and do great things if you allow the Lord to work in you and through you. One last verse, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively works and you who believe, it works. And it works in us. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You'll take your song books out now. We're going to sing the invitation song. If you need to become a child of God, we're ready and willing to assist you the baptistry is prepared. Their garments are prepared. We'd love to see a new brother, new sister in Christ tonight. If you are a child of God and you have sin in your life, maybe you've been thinking about it today. Maybe you've been struggling with, what do I need to do? We'd love to pray with you tonight. God can use you. Just let him. Would you come while together we stand and sing?